today we have a, a special guest speaker that you are absolutely going to love. Um, Pastor Isaac Friedel has been here with us before. He launched the year for us uh, in January of 2019. And um, uh, Pastor Isaac and his wife Diamond are leading Shore Christian Church in Asbury Park. And it's a wonderful, growing, thriving church under their leadership. I've had the privilege to speak there on several occasions. Uh, he and Diamond founded the Jersey Shore Dream Center in uh, 2012. The Jersey Shore Dream Center is one of the largest community outreach organizations in New Jersey. They serve about 40,000 people a year, 40,000 people who are in need in a variety of ways. What they do is amazing. They've done this in partnership with the LA Dream Center, with whom we've partnered in a number of ways over the years. I've had the privilege to be there a number of times and speak. And um, they're doing amazing work. Diamond, when I mention your name, it'd be great just to have you stand and for everybody to be able to see who you are and, and be able to say hi to you later. So great to have you today, Diamond. And um, uh, I, I also want to mention that uh, Pastor Isaac's mother is here. His mother is Rhonda. And Rhonda and her husband uh, founded... Uh, Shore Christian Church many years ago, and they have uh, been, made a major impact on the Christian church in New Jersey. Um, uh, uh, her husband, Dewey, was a larger-than-life figure. I, I met him one time because uh, he actually interviewed me. He had a, a, a television show that was very popular uh, and um, actually interviewed me one time on television around one of my books, and it was a lot of fun. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, a great man and uh, uh, greatly missed. And Rhonda, it's just a privilege to have you here today with your family. And uh, then, yeah. It's great to have uh, your kids, Isaac and Diamond, uh, Judah, Lily, and Dewey. We're so glad you guys are here. Thanks for coming with mom and dad today and hanging out all morning. They had to be here by 8 o'clock this morning driving from Asbury Park preacher's kids. That's why you should pray a lot for preacher's kids. Anyway, would you give a great big TLCC welcome to Pastor Isaac Friedel. All right. Good morning and happy Father's Day. And uh, this is what a privilege and honor to uh, be here. And uh, I consider Pastor Terry, uh, in a lot of ways, a, uh, a spiritual father for me. Uh, as Pastor Terry mentioned, it was about five years ago that uh, the Lord uh, took my father up unexpectedly, and it was, uh, it, was, it was difficult, still is, by the way. You know, anybody that's in here this morning who have, uh, you don't have your father to celebrate with today. It's, you know, it's, it's not easy, but we, we do have a heavenly father uh, that uh, we could look to. Uh, but also, uh, Pastor Terry's really been a, a spiritual father for me these past few years, and so grateful for that. And, and I know you're, you're, always, you're a first place guy, and, and I wanted to uh, bless you. I, I left it in the car for the first service, but Diamond and I got you a Father's Day gift, Pastor Terry. And uh, now you can bring it to me, and I just wanted to, to bless you with it. This is uh, something I picked up right before... I came that I know is just going to bless your socks off, Pastor Terry. 
And I didn't have time to get it engraved with your, your name and number, but, but Pastor Terry, love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's going to be in the fire pit probably after service. Uh, but all right, all right. I got, I got 30 minutes, and uh, I got to get started now. Um, that's why Pastor Terry brought me in here, because Pastor Terry can't preach 30 minutes. Uh, but... <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, I'm going to go to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel chapter 23. And uh, this is, you know, I, I tried to think what, what would be a great, you know, Father's Day text to really, you know, get the guys fired up. And, and I'm going to tie this into the series that Pastor Terry uh, has been preaching on the last few weeks about Jesus and, and how they, they came to him and he, he preached that brilliantly last Sunday and uh, what it's like now to follow him. And as you follow Jesus, there's a lot of uh, unique things that you're going to need to know because it is an adventure, but an adventure always has challenges. Adventure always has uh, a lot of moments where you don't know if you're going to make it many times or, or how this is going to go for you. And it's always an adventure when you follow Jesus. And so I want to uh, read 2 Samuel chapter 23, where it shares about uh, some of these mighty men of God in the Old Testament. Uh, King David had these mighty men that uh, just were able to fight in, in a way that a lot of us as fathers uh, need to have this kind of attitude as we uh, take on all the challenges in life. And I'm going to start reading in verse 8. It says, these are the names of, of David's mighty men. There was Joshep. Uh, he was the chief of the three. And he raised the spear against 800 men whom he killed in one, in 800 to one. 800 people he was surrounded and, and just said, you know, here, I got this. Hold my drink. I'll take care of it. 800, no problem. Uh, but the odds were against him, but he didn't care. Uh, and then verse 9, it says, next to him was Eleazar. And Eleazar was one of the three mighty warriors, and he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamon for battle. And then the Israelites retreated. He was there standing. Everybody else retreated. Everybody else uh, backed away. But listen to what Eleazar did. He stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to his sword. That's, that's, a, that's a man right there. That, that was willing to fight even when he was tired. Uh, sometimes us as fathers, you know, we, we could get a little tired and we could get a little weary in moments, but that that's when we need to step on the gas and continue to fight until our hand freezes to our sword. And the Lord brought a great victory that day, and the troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. And then I'm going to uh, go over to Mark chapter Six and talk about a moment when Jesus defied the odds. Jesus was looking at a crowd of uh, 5,000 men, and they were hungry, and they didn't know how they were going to eat, and they had a dilemma, and they had a problem. And then Jesus said, is there anybody that has anything to eat? And one young boy had five loaves and two fish, and Jesus said, that's more than enough. 5,000 people, five loaves and two fish, but God is a God who defies the odds. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I pray that you will uh, help me deliver this message in a way that can minister to every single person's heart, Lord God. Uh, I pray, Father, that all the, the fathers in here this morning and watch, watching online will be able to take that sword, whatever their battle is, and be able to fight the good fight that they have in front of them. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm very blessed to have uh, my two kids actually in the service with me. They weren't in the first service. They were down in kids' church. Uh, but my, my two kids, we have been uh, exploring recently some of the timeless classic movies. I love to see, like, which movies will withstand the test of time. And so I, I took them through the Indiana Jones trilogy. I, I took them through uh, Karate Kid. They love Karate Kid. Which is your favorite Karate Kid, Lily? Not all at once. Um, she, she's thinking, they're, so, they're all so good, she doesn't even know. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean. And, and then recently, I had him watch one of my favorite movies of all time. Incredible acting. I mean, the, 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 the drama, the cinematography is just absolutely splendid. Uh, and I wanted to share a clip of it with you guys because I feel it is relative to uh, what uh, this topic is. And it's a clip from the 90s classic, Dumb and Dumber. Let's check it out. What do you think the chances are of a guy like you and a girl like me ending up together? Well, Lloyd, that's difficult to say, and we really don't... Hit me with it! Just give it to me straight! I came a long way just to see you, Mary. Just... least you can do is level with me. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> it bring back some good memories for some people. Never thought you'd see a, a clip from Dumb and Dumber when you come to church on a Sunday, but only a TLCC. Uh, I love your pastor for letting me do that. Uh, so what, what does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with what we're going to talk about this morning? Well, this is what it has to do is, is when you are following Jesus, you are going to face moments where the odds are against you. It might be a million to one, it seems like. It might seem like it's 800 to one, but in fact... The odds are actually in your favor. You just don't realize it. Uh, many times when the odds are against us, they can actually be, actually be a blessing in disguise. A, a lot of times when you grow up and the odds are against you, it's actually an opportunity for you to develop a work ethic and able to develop a tenacity that can actually bring you to a level you never expected in your life. Uh, around the turn of the 20th century, a, a psychologist by the name of Alfred Adler proposed a counterintuitive theory of compensation. He believed that what we think of as disadvantages often prove to be advantages because they force us to cultivate compensatory attitudes and abilities that probably would have lain dormant or gone undiscovered without them. It is as we compensate for those perceived disadvantages when the odds are against us that we often discover our greatest giftings. Uh, he said that 70% of the art students that he studied had optical anomalies. He found that many of the greatest composers from history, Beethoven and Mozart among them, had degenerative traces in their ears. He cites lots of examples from tons of vocations, but this is a modern example that he shared. A modern example of a, a man by the name of John Irving. He's considered one of the greatest storytellers of his generation. 
Uh, in his book, The World According to Garp, he won a National Book Award, and his screenplay, The Cider House Rules, won an Academy Award. But this is the, the interesting thing, is that he had a C-minus average in high school. He scored a 400 on his SAT verbal, which means that probably 75% of you did better on your verbal SAT than John Irving. But do you have an Academy Award to your name? Do you have a, a National Book Award? Probably not. Uh, what happened? How did this happen? Uh, his teachers thought he was lazy, but in reality, he was dyslexic. But that disadvantage is what propelled him. He said, if my classmates could read our history assignment in an hour, I would allow myself two or three hours. He had to study longer. He had to work harder. And that work ethic is ultimately what propelled him. He said, in doing anything, you have to learn to overextend yourself. See, what happens is our disadvantages can produce inside of us a grit and a determination and can actually bring forth giftings inside of us that we never knew existed. Uh, you know, for, for me, uh, personally, Pastor uh, shared about me taking over uh, the, the church that my father and mother founded uh, in 1977. And that was, that was something for me that I never, I never thought was possible because for, for me, having a microphone in my hand and speaking to uh, a great audience like this is one of the most uncomfortable things in the world to do. You know, growing up in, in, in college, I went to uh, University of Maryland. Uh, I was an economics major and a sociology major. Uh, I was really a baseball major. That's really what I went to school for. <laughs> and I do have the high score for the basketball contest outside if you want to try and beat it. Any dads out there, you know, good luck. Um, I, I got Pastor Terry by a couple. Um, he did try to cheat, though. He tried to block my shot. I didn't appreciate that, Pastor. Uh, but but what, what, what I'm saying is, is that I, I never, I'm not good at this. This isn't a, a gifting that I had, but uh, when the time came and, and, and God raised me up and my father asked me to, to take over as a, as a, as a pastor, this microphone's kind of going in and out. Is that just me? Uh, or maybe we could get another microphone. Uh, but, but what happened is I had to study harder and I had to uh, compensate for all of the things I didn't have. I didn't have a theology degree. I didn't have a, a, a great pastoral background, but yet I had to grind out my gift and I had to study maybe 30 hours to preach a 30-minute sermon. And what happened is that my, my lack of education produced a work ethic in me that was able to propel me to find giftings that I never knew I had. And, and this is amazing. Diamond was telling me uh, just recently, she has a, a book club with some very successful entrepreneurs in the Shore area. And one of the women that she has this book club with, uh, she's what, probably one of the most successful female CEOs in, in, in all, of, all of the world. Uh, she was the COO of Oracle. She was the CEO of Sparta Communications. And how she came to the Lord was so amazing. She started listening to some of our sermons online, and she said what gripped her was the fact that I did not have a theological degree, and I was so young that the only way that I could be able to, to share some of the knowledge that she was receiving is it had to be the Lord, because it couldn't be this uneducated kid that, that was doing it. It had to be the Lord, and that is how this CEO met Christ, because many times it's our disadvantages that could produce the opportunities that God will use. Uh, Pastor Terry has a, a, a little tiny dog. What's your dog's name, Pastor? Dietrich. Dietrich. How often do you feed Dietrich? Never. Never. 
No wonder it's so small. What's the matter with you, Pastor? And, and so I, I didn't know this, but, but domesticated dogs have a brain that is 30% smaller and dumber than wild dogs. Did you know that? Do you know that you have a dumb dog, Pastor Terry? <laughs> and, but this is the reason. The, the reason why uh, domesticated animals aren't as smart uh, and, and their brains are smaller than wild dogs is because they don't have to fight for their food. Is because Sharon, thank you so much. For Dietrich, the best 40 seconds of his entire day. But if you're a wild dog, you have to fight for your food. You have to go out and find your food. Nobody hands it to you. Nobody gives it to you. And some of you, you know what I'm talking about because you didn't grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth. You grew up in a struggle. You grew up having to fight and claw for everything. Maybe you didn't get an inheritance, but what you did get was a grit and a determination that nobody else could teach you other than the circumstances that you had to face as a child and as a young person. And I'm telling you that if you leverage it the right way, it could turn into one of the greatest advantages of your life. And I'll, I'll prove it to you in Scripture that, that, that God likes the odds against him. He likes to fight battles where victory seems not attainable. Uh, go to Judges chapter 2, chapter 7, verse 2. So he's got this guy Gideon who's going into battle. Any Gideons in here? Where are my mighty men at? Where are my men at? From the front to back, if you're hearing that, put one hand up. Can you repeat? I don't want to have to repeat that again. Where are my men at? Come on. Okay. All right. Here are the men. This is... Gideon was a man's man. I didn't do that in the first service. I'm feeling a lot better in the second service. I don't even know. Is that Beyonce? Destiny's child. I, maybe. Okay. Pastor, no. And this is what God, the Lord said to Gideon, going into battle. He's got 30,000 men. He's going up against the uh, Midianites who have over 100,000. And God says to him, you have too many men. What are you talking about? The odds are against me as it is. Nope, you got too many. Why? Because this is what God says. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me saying it was my own strength that has saved me. See, a lot of times the reason why God will allow the odds to be stacked against us is because he wants us to realize when the victory does come forth that it wasn't because of your strength and your intellect and your wisdom, but you realize that if it had not been for the Lord on my side, my enemies would have overwhelmed me. And, and, and so he says, this is what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to tell everyone who's afraid to go away. So, so 20,000 of the men went away, and he had 10,000 left. That seems like pretty good odds. God says, no, I want them to be worse. Uh, take everybody down to the water, and whoever laps like a dog, tell them to go away. He's left with 300 men, 300 to 100,000, and God's like, I got them just where I want them. Now go down and attack the Midianites, and he delivered an incredible victory to them. And I'm telling you, God will do the same thing to you. Stop complaining about the, the, the deck being stacked against you and the odds being against you, and realize that it is the greatest opportunity for God to bring forth a victory in your life and for you to be able to use it to inspire others and equip the next generation to chase their dreams. So... How do we defy the odds? Three real quick things. Number one, you need to find a dream and a cause that is worth fighting for and worth dying for. See, a lot of us are going after what we think 
is God's dream, but it's really our own ego. A lot of times we are chasing success when the Lord wants us to be able to chase a dream where we might be a servant. I, I heard it said once that um, some people are so busy climbing the ladder of success that they fail to notice that it's leaning against the wrong house. I, I don't want to be 70 years old, 75 years old, and realize that the dream I've been building and everything that I've been putting forth in my life was the wrong dream. I wasn't even doing what God created me to do. See, it, it is a failure to succeed at the wrong thing. And for us men, what is success? Every man in here, I, I would challenge you and tell you success is being respected by the people who know you the best. Success is being famous at home and find a dream worth fighting for. Eleazar in this scripture found a cause and a dream that was worth fighting for and worth dying for. 10 of the 11 disciples found a, a, a dream worth dying for and they were, they were murdered for Jesus, murdered for their dream. And if you asked them, was it worth it? They would have said, that was the greatest adventure of my life because I found something worth fighting for and worth dying for. Is what you're living for right now worth dying for? That's a good question to ask yourself every morning. Am I waking up this morning to fight for something that's worth dying for? See, it is amazing what you can endure when you are fighting for the right dream. It is amazing the valleys that you can walk through, the odds that you can overcome. I mean, Jesus said it best through the author of Hebrews. Jesus said, for the joy set before me, I endured the nine-inch nails in my hands. I endured the nails in my feet. I endured the whip. I endured the rejection of my own disciples and my own father as I hung on the cross. I was able to scorn the shame. Why? Because I had a joy set before me. What was that joy? That joy was you. He had a picture of you in his mind. And knowing that he was dying for you, he loved you that much. He was able to endure so much pain and so much rejection. And the same will be true for you. If you find a dream, that is so inspiring, it's worth dying for, you will be amazed at what you can overcome. Number two, how do you defy the odds? You need to realize that every piece has a purpose. Every piece has a purpose. Anybody get some good Father's Day gifts today? Any, any dads? Yeah. yeah. You better raise your hand. Every father, but yes, it was amazing, honey. Thank you, thank you so much. You know, I'm wearing a shirt with pink flamingos on it. And I got, this is my father's. That's the only reason I'm wearing this shirt with the pink flamingos because my wife made me. Uh, you know, but but, but I, I remember it was a couple years ago, uh, right, after, right after Easter. And uh, uh, right after Easter, Easter for us as pastors is a very, it's an amazing time because we see so many people come to the Lord. Uh, but it could also be, you know, a little bit of a draining time uh, afterwards. So I always take the, the Sunday after Easter off and, and kind of recharge and get refilled up. And, and it's a time for, for me to just kind of relax. You know, guys, we need some time to relax every now and then. We need to recharge. And, and so this was my time. And, and so Monday, right after Easter Sunday, um, I'm, I'm just blown away by this giant truck that shows up in our driveway. And, and I'm like, what is this, honey? What, what, what did you do? What, any, any guys, you know, something pulls up and you're like, honey, what did you do? 
so you know it's not going to end well for you. Like BT Dub for for all the all the fathers, you know, you get the drill set for for uh, for Father's Day. You know that Monday morning you're going to get the list of the 15 things that you have to fix with the new drill set that you just got. You know, there's all so so Diamond says, "Oh, I, I found this this gigantic commercial playground uh, that was on sale at Costco. I thought since you had the whole week off, you could put it together." No. And any guys, you, you feel, feel my pain. You know, who do you think, I, Diamond? I'm not a carpenter. I'm a pastor. Like, like I, I was t- talking with Pastor Terry, our, our, because Pastor Terry's like me. You know, we, we preach. Our, our, our tool is a microphone, not a Phillips head. That's how we roll. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put this, this, this set together, and it's 2,000 different pieces. I got the instruction manual right here, and uh, I, I saved it because I was able to put that bad boy together. Uh, it, took me, it took me about a week, uh, but there's a picture of me laying out all the pieces. 2,450 pieces. All, isn't that like a nightmare? Any, any guys, you know, your, your daughter turns six, and you get the gigantic Barbie caster, and you're like, oh, God. Because you know what you're doing for the next 24 hours, putting that sucker together. And, and so every piece is different. And it, it says two people. Yeah, right. For, for maybe, you know, two carpenters. They don't know me. Uh, you know, 14 to 18 hours. Took me about 48 hours to put this thing together. But this is what I realized. I realized that every piece has a purpose. I, I realized that, that many times when God gives you a dream, you get a picture of it. But then when you go and look at what you're facing, it doesn't always line up with the picture that God gave you. It was almost 30 years ago, uh, Pastor Terry wrote in his book, uh, Live 10, I believe, when, when God gave him the vision of this church and how Pastor Terry would, would close his eyes and imagine himself pulling up to a church. And he would imagine his own parking spot. Am I telling this correctly, Pastor? And he would imagine the auditorium filled with people. And, and he would imagine the souls being saved and the kids' church and all these amazing things. But then when he would come to church on a Sunday morning when you were still meeting in the storefront, what he was looking at did not line up with the picture that God gave him. Because when God gives you a picture, when God gives you a dream, then he gives you a piece and says, go build with this. And when you're faithful with that piece, he gives you another one. And he gives you another piece. And a lot of times we get pieces, we don't know what to do with them. But I found out that every piece has a purpose. That when you're walking with Jesus, you have to understand that every piece that he gives you has a purpose. And sometimes it, it, it may be a backward step. Sometimes it, it may be an abandonment. Sometimes it may be a tragedy. Sometimes it may be a disappointment. But what I love about our God is he doesn't waste any pieces. That every season of our life, God brings out a purpose in it. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So I said that to encourage somebody who has been given a peace during this season of their life, and you don't know how it fits in God's picture. I want you to know that God will use every peace in your life. He'll use every tragedy. He'll use every success that you need to learn to give God your successes and your failures. And at the end of the day, the pieces will start to come together. Number three, you have to... You have to fight until your hand freezes to your sword. It's a fight. Life is a fight. Chasing a dream is a fight. Building a business is a fight. Raising a family is a fight. 
I love the, what, what Tom Hanks said in the movie, A League of Their Own. Tom Hanks said, it's supposed to be hard. I think maybe one of the girls was crying or something. You know, no crying in baseball. This was right after that. You know, the, the big heavy set kid was, you know, spitting on him and everything. And then this is what Tom Hanks, he says, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Success isn't sexy, it's sweaty. Success isn't glamorous, it's gritty. Don't be afraid of failure. Be afraid of being outworked. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take dedication. It's going to take some sleepless nights. It's going to take moments where you don't see how God is ever going to bring you forth out of this season of your life. It's going to take you having to get down on your knees and praying with all your heart, but in the next day getting up and working with all your strength. See, we need to learn to pray like it depends on God, but work like it depends on you. That's so good. I want to say it one more time. Pray like it depends on God, but work like it depends on you. See, the favor of God is not something that gives us a reason to be lazy. The favor of God is something that stands in the gap of us giving our best, and when we do fall short, God steps in and fills in the gap. That's what the favor, the favor of God is him doing what we're not able to do in our own ability. And too many times, us as Christians, we, we use the grace of God to, as an excuse not to give our all or give all of our might. But God says, you need to still work and fight until your hand freezes to your sword. Uh, I want to read this story from a great warrior. He was uh, a general in the Civil War. His name was Joshua Chamberlain. And Joshua Chamberlain knew what it was like to, to fight until your hand freezes to your sword. Uh, it says on July 2nd, 1863, Joshua Chamberlain and his 300 soldier regiment were all that stood between the Confederates and certain defeat at the battlefield at Gettysburg. At 2.30 p.m., the Confederate army charged. Chamberlain and his men held their ground through the second, third, fourth, and fifth charge. Only 80 Union soldiers stood between him at the little round top charge, and Chamberlain himself was knocked down when a bullet hit his belt buckle. But the 34-year-old school teacher turned soldier got back up. One of his sergeants told him that there were no reinforcements coming, that his men were down to one round of ammunition. And a 12-year-old boy who was the lookout told them that they're charging again. The rebels are coming. They're getting ready to charge one more time. The rational thing at that point with no ammunition and no reinforcements would have been to surrender. But Chamberlain was not wired that way. He made the defining decision that turned the tide of the war and single-handedly saved the Union. In full view of the enemy, Chamberlain climbed into one of the barricade stones and gave the command. He pointed his spear at the army and yelled, charge. The men started running at the Confederate army that vastly outnumbered them, caught them off guard, executed a great white wheel, and it was with his and it ranks as one of the most improbable victories in military history. 80 Union soldiers captured 400 Confederates in five minutes. Wow. Historians believe that if Chamberlain did not charge, the rebels would have gained the high ground. If they gained the high ground, there's a good chance they would have won the battle at Gettysburg. And if they had won the battle, the historical consensus would have been that Confederates would have won the war. 
After the war, Chamberlain served as the 32nd governor of the state of Maine, and he was honored by President Grover Cleveland with the Medal of Honor. And this is what he said as he received the Medal of Honor. He said, I knew I may die, but I also knew that I was not going to die with a bullet in my back. I had the deep conviction within me in the ability, in the inability to do nothing. God is calling us to the battlefield, and he is yelling charge. When did he yell charge? The moment that he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. See, they may try, but we need to be able to look at our enemy in the face and say, you know, no matter what you throw at me, I serve a God that will defy the odds. I may have the odds stacked against me, but I serve the God who is able to put inside of me the ability to stand in the midst of a fight where victory does not look probable and able to say, my God is for me. And no matter what comes, it, it cannot destroy what God has put within me. And I close with, with this story. Uh, and the worship team could, could get ready to come forward. Uh, my son, Dewey, he's not in here right now. Uh, he's, uh, he's in the kids' church. Uh, we have three beautiful kids. My son, uh, Dewey, uh, he was born April 10th. And we got all the ultrasounds before he was born. And we had uh, and all, everything that we were supposed to. And they assured us that we were going to have this, this perfectly healthy boy. And, and all of our other kids were born perfectly healthy. And, and we were so excited to welcome our third child into the world. And on April the 10th, uh, Diamond's water broke, and, and we get to the, the, the hospital, and a few hours later, uh, we get to meet our, our third child, Dewey Jensen Friedel. Big Jensen Franklin fan, so we went with that with the middle name. And when he came out, uh, we noticed that there was something a little different with, with Dewey compared to our other children. Um, he, he had all this, it, it looked like some of his, his insides were in the umbilical cord. And it, it, the doctor had never seen this before, and he, he immediately took Dewey, uh, took him away from us, and we didn't know what was going on. Uh, we, were, we were crying. We, were, we, were, we didn't know what was going on. We wanted to see our baby, and, and we, we didn't know what the problem was. And the doctor came in and told us that uh, your, your baby, we didn't see it in any of the ultrasounds. Uh, he was born with, with this thing called infallacile. And what infallacile is, is uh, it's when your belly button doesn't, um, it doesn't close. And then your, your insides can actually come outside in the mother's uh, womb and actually go into the umbilical cord. And they went that day and they had to do emergency surgery. We were, we were distraught. We, we, we didn't pray the right way. We were angry. We were crying. We were trying to listen to worship music. We were calling our, our friends to, to get some support. Uh, and it was, it was the worst day of our life. And the, the most difficult part of what the doctors told us was within phallocele, uh, there's all these other complications that are probable after that. That there's, there's an 80% chance that there's going to be other abnormalities, that you know, he's going to have Bethwick syndrome or he's going to have this. And, and we just couldn't believe it. We were, we were just devastated. And uh, we knew we, we serve a God that defies the odds. But when you're in the middle of it, Sometimes the, the odds can feel overwhelming. Anyone ever been there before? Where you, you hear the sermons, but when you're in the middle of it, man, it shakes you to your core. And they did the surgery. The surgery was successful. And they did all the blood tests. And, and I'm, so, I'm so thankful that our little baby Dewey, from the very womb, 
defied the odds. That there was an 85% chance there was going to be something else, but, but he, didn't, he didn't care. He, I'm going to defy the odds, and there was nothing else wrong with Dewey. He came out, you know, perfect other than that, and now he's in the, the, the kids' church playing, and he's, he's more advanced than any of the other kids. But this is where I want to land this sermon, is no matter what you face, defy the odds. Maybe you do have a child who was born on the spectrum, and the doctors say, He's never going to graduate high school. Defy the odds, graduate high school. They may say that because your, your father was a drug addict, the, the chances are you're going to be a drug addict, that it's, that, that it's generational. There's a generational curse on you. I want to I say you serve a God that breaks generational curses. Defy the odds, defy the odds, defy the odds. They say 75% of second marriage, you've been through a divorce. They say you're going to get divorced again. No, I, I serve the God who, who, who defies the odds that they may give me one year to live. They may say it's terminal and there's a 90% chance that I won't get through 2021, but they don't know me and they don't know my God. My God is one who will defy the odds. He walks through every valley with me. He breaks every chain of addiction. He is able to walk with me closer than anybody else. You may say it's 100 to 1, 800 to 1. You may say like, like a, a dumb and dumber, it's a million to 1. But when I got Jesus, I could say, like, he, he was dumb. <laughs> but, but the Word says that, that Jesus calls the foolish things of this world to confine the, the wise. That <laughs> wasn't really in my notes, but you got to be dumb for Jesus sometimes. <laughs> So you're telling me there's a chance. I'm not, but he is. God bless you all. Thank you so much. Pray you have a wonderful Father's Day.